we are uh, in Revelation chapter number 20. Uh, we only have uh, four lessons left, only four, left, four weeks left in the book of Revelation. It has been uh, quite a journey, and uh, we are just uh, getting close to the end now. And uh, as we talk about tonight, the millennium, and we talk about the great white throne judgment, and then uh, we'll spend two weeks on the new Jerusalem, um, and then our last, very last lesson uh, talks about the last invitation in the Bible. And so uh, just uh, exciting uh, as we come to a, con- uh, a close here. Um, just so you know, uh, a couple of you have already asked me. Uh, all of these lessons are available on our website as well as in our app. Uh, and you can go back and listen to them. All of the outlines are also available uh, in our app as well as online that you can print off or just follow along as you're listening But at the end of the series, when we get to it, uh, there'll be a few Sundays that we'll offer all 20, I think it's going to be like 29 weeks, all 29 weeks um, with outlines uh, for you in a CD format um, that you can listen to at home if you so desire. And several of you have asked me about that, so I just want to share that with you um, through the whole book of Revelation, all right? So those are uh, the things to come. But Revelation chapter number 20, and uh, let's start reading in verse number 1. Revelation chapter 20, verse number 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and, gra- and a great chain in his hand. And he laid on a hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgments was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years was finished. Uh, This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Verse number seven. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations, which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, Together, uh, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp uh, of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever. And ever. We'll stop there uh, for the very first part of our lesson tonight. We'll read the rest of it as we progress through. Chapter number, we're starting right at the top of your outline. Chapter number 19 ended with the second coming of Christ and the battle of Armageddon. The first word in chapter 20 is the word and, which brings us immediately to the calm after the storm. If you remember, last week we talked about the battle of Armageddon. We talked about the utter destruction that's going to take place at the very words of Jesus Christ as he defeats the rest of the world and defeats the armies of the world that have risen up against him. And now we get to chapter number 20 and verse number 1. The very first word is and. It's almost as if uh, we have taken a scene and, and, and now we've shifted that scene from utter destruction to glorious victory. 
And uh, that is what's happening now. It is literally the calm after the storm. This chapter is about the coming golden age, often called the millennium. The word millennium is a Latin word that means a thousand years. The phrase thousand years appears six times in the first seven verses of chapter number 20 that we've already read. And so when we talk about the thousand years, a thousand years, it's often referred to uh, as the Latin word millennium, which means a thousand years. One approach or one's approach to the entire book of Revelation depends on how the millennium is interpreted. So here's the question. Should the thousand year reign of Christ be taken literally or should it be taken symbolically? We have talked as we've progressed down since September about many things in the book of Revelation that were symbolic. And uh, we have compared them to other passages of Scripture so that we can interpret them in a better way. And so now we're here to the millennium, the, the literal thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. And should this be taken literally or symbolically? There are two camps here of belief. There are some that do believe that it is a symbolic time period uh, that represents many different aspects of the end times. Others believe that it is literal. Here's what I say. It would be very difficult to interpret the resurrection in verse 5. Look at verse 5 with me. Chapter 20 and verse number 5. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is what? What does it say? The first resurrection. It would be very difficult to interpret the resurrection in verse 5 as symbolic or to spiritualize it in any way. Therefore, it seems only reasonable to assume the entire chapter is about literal events that will happen at Christ's second coming to the earth. So as we look at this, I, I, there is no way uh, in, in an in a educated sense that we can look at this any other way than in a literal form of time of the thousand years because of all the events that are going to take place during the millennium. Number one, let's talk about it, the millennium. What are, what's going to happen during this time? Now, this is one of those time periods that I'm sure that many of you have lots of questions about. Uh, we, we, we went through and tried to answer many of your questions about the rapture. We've tried to answer many of your questions about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Um, and even at the end of our lesson last week, we had several questions uh, pertaining to the lake of fire and the difference between uh, Hades, hell, and what we know as the lake of fire. Uh, and uh, we'll talk about a little bit about that tonight again. And, uh, but the millennium, it, it's an intriguing uh, thought process as, as we think about ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ for a thousand years. Then the question that everybody always asks is, what are we going to be doing? All right? Everybody asks, what are we going to be doing here in the millennium? Well, there is really, um, as we look through passages of Scripture tonight, there is some hint as to what we'll be doing, uh, but there is no really definitive answer. There's a lot of speculation. You know how I feel about speculation. Uh, I didn't come to teach or to preach on speculation. We teach and preach on the truths of the Word of God, and so I'm not going to read into it at all uh, with you tonight, but just know that anything that is Christ-centered. This is very important for us to note. Anything that's Christ-centered, starting with your salvation, moving on into eternity, and now talking about the millennium, nothing within Christ's realm or anything that we do involves us sitting around doing nothing. 
right? When we got saved, the Bible said immediately in the book of Psalms to serve the Lord with gladness. The Bible tells us that we are to always abound in the work of the Lord. It is a constant matter of work and serving and doing. So for, for any of that, and then I look at heaven, and I look at, the Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth, and, and the Bible talks about that we're all going to have jobs, and we're all going to have positions in heaven. And literally, the things that we do here on earth for Christ are going to translate to the things that we do in heaven. The Bible says that if you're faithful in a few things, I will make you a ruler over many. That's right. And that involves work. So everything with Christ encompasses serving and work. So there's no reason for you to think that you're going to be sitting in a rocking chair during the thousand years. Okay? We're going to be busy. We're going to be working. We're going to be doing. All right? So number one, the millennium. The millennium. Uh, The millennium begins as John sees an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Chapter 20 and verse number 1. The angel binds Satan for a thousand years, verse 2. This also implies that all evil spirits under his command will also be imprisoned, all right? So from the very beginning, what we have is we have Satan who has been abundant in our world even today. He is being chained and uh, he is being literally uh, uh, bound for this thousand year period. This does not say that he's eliminated. It just says that he's bound. The Bible tells us in our passage that we already read that he'll be loosed for a little season. um, And uh, then he will be cast into the lake of fire. So there's a progression of events. So when we talk about the millennium, Satan's going to be bound. All of his cohorts are going to be bound. Which means that when we get to the millennium, it is going to be as perfect as a earth can be. If we could translate it, it would almost be like the Garden of Eden prior to the fall. You understand that Satan was permitted into the garden by God to test Adam and Eve. You understand that, right? Nothing happens without God's permission. So Satan is allowed into the Garden of Eden to tempt Adam and Eve. What happens to Adam and Eve? They fall. Okay, the same process is going to happen in the millennium. Satan is now bound and until God allows for it, he will not be loosed. But when he is loosed, he will be there to test and to tempt those that are in the millennium. It's very important that you understand that that is not us as Christians. He's not testing us. He is testing those that are born during the millennium time. Okay, I want you to make sure we're clear about that now. I know that may bring up several questions, but we'll get to them, I promise, all right? Um, the great chain is obviously not a physical chain, since a spirit could not be uh, restrained with a chain of steel. However, whatever its nation, it will su- uh, uh, nature, it will succeed in binding Satan for the millennium, and he will deceive the nations no more till the thousand years shall be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed for a season, verse number three. We just talked about that. This phrase, must be loose, seems to indicate Satan must be set free for a short period of time at the close of the millennium because the people born during the millennium must be tested. They must be tested. 
I'm going to stop there because the immediate question that comes to your mind, what is it? If you don't ask it, I won't ask it. Okay. How do people get born in the millennium? (laughs) How does that happen? All right. So let me answer that question because that could be a lot of speculation. The Bible is not perfectly clear about this, so we will not break up into speculation. However, based upon a process of elimination from the, when we, when we studied the fall of Great Babylon, and then we studied uh, the bull wrath, and then we studied the Armageddon, during the tribulation, people will be saved. We agreed to that, right? Okay. What we also found out is that when we studied the Battle of Armageddon, that there was a remnant. And that remnant were saved people. Most people believe that that remnant, we're not sure how many that is, transfers into the millennium and begins to procreate and have children. Because you understand that once we're saved and we're raptured out of here, that the Bible says we'll be known as we're known and all that kind of stuff, which is all great. But, and, and let's look around this room for a second. Okay. Um, and, and so when we talk about that, you say, well, I'll know my husband and wife, so that means we're going to have children again. No. When you get to heaven, there is no sexual love in heaven. Okay. There, there is a love that only Christ gives. It is agape love. It is a brotherly love. It's an endless love. And that's what we'll know each other by. And that's when we get to heaven and the new heaven and the new earth, that it will not be a continual repopulation. Those that are saved now, those that are saved during the tribulation, are the ones that will remain in heaven. There, there will not be, as many religions talk about, that when you go to heaven, there'll be virgins waiting on you and you'll be able to have as many children as you want with these virgins. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to be... I, I'm, you understand what I'm saying? I'm just trying to help you understand this. So, um, that, that is an untrue statement. That is not biblical whatsoever. Uh, that right there is what they call brainwashing. And, and so, when we talk about this during the millennium, these are people that have transferred from the tribulation to the millennium, have children, those children are raised, those have children, those, I'm talking about a thousand years here, children, 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 okay? And uh, these people can accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And these people will also be tempted by Satan when he's loose for a season. But once the millennium is over, there will be no more sexual love on earth or in the new heaven and new earth. Okay? Um, So I I just want to make sure you understand that. You say, Pastor, can you prove that? I can. and, And... I don't want you to seem like I'm splitting hairs, all right? But this is, if you read your Bible, this is what it says. The Bible says Adam and Eve were what? Created, right? It wasn't until they fell that they began to have children. Sex was a part of the fall. Read your Bible, that's what it is, okay? Perfection is created, okay? Out of the dust of the ground by God. When you talk about having children, it is a man-made, or not a man-made, it is a God-made, man-acted event when we talk about sex, okay? And so that is how children 
began to happen in this world, as we all know. And so when we get to the next portion of this world back to perfection again, that will not be necessary. If anything needs to be created, God can do it out of the dust of the ground. Okay? Correct. That's correct. The woman at the well. That's right. And so that, that, is, that is the... The understanding of heaven. Does that make sense? Or did I open up a can of worms? Uh, you're good? Okay, good. Um, so these are people that are born during the millennium that are saved. After the body of Satan, John says in verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. This phrase is very difficult to interpret because very few specifics are, are given. The most probable explanation of that is that those who were on the thrones were, in fact, the 24 elders. We found the 24 elders all the way back uh, in the first couple of chapters, uh, first, uh, excuse me, chapter number four in the book of Revelation or in in chapter number five. However, specifics abound in identifying the rest of the characters in this scene according to verses 4 and 5. Look at verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were what? Beheaded. When did they get beheaded? During the tribulation, right? Beheaded during the tribulation. For the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and who had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were unfinished. This is the first resurrection. Now, no details are given in this passage concerning the nature of the millennium kingdom, Perhaps because such information had already been provided by the prophets and John saw no need to repent. Therefore, for a better understanding of the millennial age, let's look at the following passages of scripture. Now, I typically have not written out passages of scripture, but because of this, I felt that it was necessary. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse number 4. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. This is talking about the millennium. Isaiah chapter uh, chapter number 11. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp that is somewhat of like a serpent. And the weaned child shall put his head uh, on the cockroach's den, another form of a serpent. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is talking about... The millennium, the perfect time. All right, Uh, Isaiah chapter 35. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water, and the habitation of dragons where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. That dragon's word is very interesting. We won't get into it, but you should go home and study it. Micah chapter number four. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established 
in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and will walk in his path. For the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And uh, so you're given many instructions and many passages of Scripture concerning the millennium throughout the Old Testament. Revelation 26 clearly excludes from the second death those who are part of the first resurrection, and thus implies those who participate in the second resurrection are destined for eternal death. Do you see that? It's very important that you understand this. Thus, the first resurrection must include all the dead in Christ. Okay? It is also clear from these verses that the resurrection of the dead in Christ and the lost dead, meaning those that have not accepted Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, are separated by a thousand years. The saved rise in the first resurrection. The lost do not rise until the second resurrection. The lost can have no part in the millennium. Their next appointment is the great white throne judgment. There is no other appointment for them, okay? Does everybody see that? You with me? Okay, good. Uh, the Lord distinguishes the two resurrections, even though he did not specify a time difference in John chapter number 5. He says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of what? Damnation, right. Verse 20, uh, uh, that was 28 and 29. Now, Revelation 27 says, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. As predicted in verse 3, Satan will be set free at the end of the millennium and will find plenty of people to deceive. The Bible says from the four quarters, quarters excuse me, of the earth, the number who is as the sand of the sea. Look at verse 8. And shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, together, uh, to gather them together to battle the number whom is as the sand of the sea. So the thousand years has expired and Satan is now loosed again for a season. And unfortunately, just as it was in the Garden of Eden, people will give in to the temptations of the enemy. Satan's followers will apparently come from the unregenerate population born during the millennium. You understand that during the millennium, it's just like somewhat of what it is today, just like it was when it was in the Garden of Eden. People still have a choice whether to accept or whether to reject. Never throughout all of history, throughout all of the Word of God, has God ever forced himself onto anyone They've always had a free will. So Satan's followers will apparently come from the unregenerate population born in the millennium. Yes? It's a good question. Most people believe that death will not occur during the millennium. It'll be just like it was in the Old Testament. And the reason is, as we're fixing to hit it, is because worship... And the Old, the Old Testament way of worship was instituted by God during the millennium, not the New Testament worship. And so, and we're going to see that in just a moment. 
Um, and uh, so most people believe that those that are born during the millennium will not die. It, they will live to be a thousand years old. Or however, whenever they were born during the millennium. Okay? Um, the reference to Gog and Magog, and if you've studied the book of Ezekiel at all in prophetic history, you've heard that term, Gog and Magog. Uh, but I just put this in as a side note so that you would understand if you went back to study the book of Ezekiel um, that this is not the same um, Gog and Magog. The, fre- the reference to Gog and Magog in verse 8 is reminiscent of Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. But it is obviously not the same battle because the time is different. In Ezekiel thirty-eight fifteen, the army invades the north. But in Revelation 28, uh, it comes from the four quarters of the earth. The judgment is also different. Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 19 to 22. The battle in the book of Revelation and the one in the book of Ezekiel have practically nothing in common except for their two names, meaning Gog and Magog. Which we know that John, who is penning this book, is limited by what he knows. And John knows the Old Testament. You understand that? And so when he looks at it historically, what he's trying to uh, um, compare it to, he's comparing it to what he knows in the book of Ezekiel to Gog and to Magog. The millennium will be an age of peace, prosperity, and perfect environment, as well as a time when disobedience will be quickly judged. Yes, at the end of this period, apparently, millions of people will follow Satan in rebellion against the Lord. This is evidence that a perfect environment cannot produce righteousness. Did you catch that? Yeah, because we're there with them. We are the testament to them. You realize we're going to be there. We're going to be in the millennium. That's right. We're ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's correct. And, and you, you understand, it'll be just like, and I know it's hard for us to comprehend because we live in a sin. Mm-hmm. They know everything. Yeah. Because we're a testimony to him. But you remember, I want you to think about this for a moment. Because I know it's hard to wrap our head around. Why would somebody in a perfect environment with God or Jesus ruling and reigning with all these saints possibly turn their lives back over to an enemy like Satan? you got to remember the 144,000 that went out into the tribulation and they began to witness. You realize, those, where did those 144,000 come from? They came from heaven where they've been. They know what heaven is like. They come to earth, and what do they do? They witness to the people, to their people, to the Jews. Listen, I've just come from there. He is the Messiah. And they still reject, right? Just like when Adam and Eve was in the Garden of Eden, and Satan came, they live in a perfect world. They had everything that they could ever want or need, right? And here comes Satan along, and all he did was have to say, you know, he's... He's really not who he says he is. Just take a bite. And boom, that's it, right? It's kind of like, if I could put it to your perspective like this, all right? Mm-hmm. 
Now, they, did, they didn't actually witness that, but, but, but we are witnessing. That's correct. That's exactly right. Yes. Right. It blows my mind, too. But let me ask you a question, okay? All right, ready? Here we go. You ready? Oh, I'm sorry. She, she, I'm sorry. She's saying, you know, when, when people are in the millennium and they have witnessed that here are all these people that have accepted Christ, they're witnessing these people that have come over from the tribulation, and, and Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning, how is it that at the end of this thousand years do they get tempted in turn back to the enemy, or to the enemy, when they've, when they've heard all of this and know all of this and all that kind of stuff? Well, you know, it, it's interesting, but let me ask you a question. You know, how many of you, now I know some of you are going to say yes, but in re, if we really deep down thought about it, how many of you would get on a ship named Titanic? Knowing what you know now, right? Okay. They're actually building one right now. Did you know that? They're building a Titanic, okay? Now, I, I don't know who's going to be on the maiden voyage, but not me. Okay. I'm not getting my ticket in advance, all right? You know, but the truth is, is that every single day, right, thousands, possibly millions of people get on cruise ships. I'm not ruining it for you, okay? I'm not going to ruin it for you. But, but you get on a cruise ship and no one ever thinks about it. But Carnival's not pulling in Titanic, and saying, let's get on it and go. No, they're calling it the fascination or whatever. All right? I don't even know because I've never been on a cruise. All right? And so, but you understand what I'm saying? All because of the name and the association. Right? Are you with me? So here we have all these people talking about how great it is and how good it is. And the enemy is going to come along and he's going to say, listen, these people are kind of off the charts. Let me tell you about what the good life really is. That's right. And it changes everything in their perspective. Because you realize they're still just as human as we are now. We get every day, we're sitting in our homes. Some of you love to watch the shopping network. We sit in our homes. And if that salesman on there is off the charts, we're picking up the phone. That product can clean anything. Just watch that guy. You know, we're persuaded. But if the guy gets on there and he's like, today we're going to sell this product and I promise you that it hopefully will clean your clothes, he's not going to get anywhere, right? How many of you ever watch Shark Tank? Some of my favorite shows, okay? You walk into a room, you're trying to get a million dollars from these people. How do you do it? You have a wonderful presentation. And that's exactly what the enemy will have. Does that make sense? I know that's a lot, but Yes. It's, Smack her again. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, and you're right. Convince them the other way. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He did. Mm-hmm. 
you like a right. That's right. Yeah. Right. Right. And right. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the reason it says, that word I put in my heart, mm-hmm. that I might not sin against God. Mm-hmm. It's not about knowing in your head. Right. It's definitely in your heart. You've got to know the word right. of God. That's exactly right. And, and that's very true. And so, people are easily deceived. I mean, we're humans. That's where we were made. They're easily deceived. They're easily swayed. And uh, so, that's why you have to be so careful. All right, moving on. Um, let's see here. This is evidence that perfect environment cannot produce righteousness. As implied in Revelation 29 and specified in Ezekiel chapter 40, verse uh, 40 through chapter 46, there will be a great millennial temple in Jerusalem and a form of Old Testament worship will be instituted. We don't have time to do it um, in this study, but you should go home and read Ezekiel chapter 40 through 46. You're going to probably read it and not understand it all, and, and, and that's okay. Maybe good to, to get a, a, a good um, commentary on it, but it'll, it talks about the millennial kingdom or temple that will be set up in Jerusalem, and Old Testament, uh, and a form of Old Testament worship will be instituted. Look at verse number nine with me. The Bible says, and there went up, uh, uh, or excuse me, and they went up on the breadth of the earth, and encompassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. This is a, a setting up of the Old Testament worship. If you remember, Old Testament worship was instituted by what? Sacrifice, right? It was all by sacrifice. And um, so, why, Pastor? Why are we going back? It's very simple. The grace age has ended. You understand? We were, the Old Testament was under the law. Grace was instituted. And now we're back to a form of the law. Why are we back to the form of the law? Because who are God's chosen people? The Jews. Who understands the law? The Jews. That's right. Right? That is why Satan and his followers will go up to the beloved city. Apparently, Christ permits Satan's armies to surround Jerusalem. And when they are assembled, fire will come down from out of heaven and will consume them. After the destruction of the armies of Satan, the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, verse number 10, where the beast and the false prophet are. Satan now joins, this is a question that I had last week, and I'll uh, expand on it here in just a moment. Satan now joins the other two personalities of the unholy trinity, and we talked about uh, the beast and the false prophet last week that found their home in the lake of fire, who had preceded him into the lake of fire by a thousand years. This verse makes it clear that damnation is not annihilation. Okay? Damnation is not annihilation. The wicked will exist forever in torment. As verse 10 states, they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. The question came to me last week um, about the difference between, the hell, between hell and the lake of fire. When a person is lost and they die, they go to hell, Hades, which is a holding place until the great white throne judgment. They are held there until after the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ. We'll talk about their judgment in just a moment. And then they are lifted or they are risen or whatever you want to call it, resurrected uh, to the great white throne judgment. The Bible says that they will be judged uh, according to their works. We'll talk about what that means in just a moment. Um, and, uh, but then they are cast into what? 
the lake of fire. The Bible talks about the lake of fire. It burneth with fire and brimstone. It's the second death. Um, it is not by any stretch of the imagination, uh, as many people have said, even Hollywood stars have said it um, grotesquely on television, that, oh, don't worry, we're just going to have a party in hell. And uh, the truth of the matter is, is that the lake of fire is they're going to be tormented day and night forever and ever. They will not be annihilated. The death for them, the second death for them is not a literal death. It is torment. I know that's hard for us to comprehend or even want to think about. But I think it's so important for people that have been messed up into, and I apologize, and please don't get mad at me for this. I can only tell you um, basically what the Word of God says. Um, but people have been deceived about this idea of hell and the lake of fire. And uh, they've been deceived into thinking that if they do this or they do that, that they'll reach paradise. And then uh, if we reach paradise, and then I'll get a bunch of friends to pray for me so that I actually make it to heaven. And uh, all of these things. That is not biblical. Biblical statement says that we either accept Jesus Christ as being the Savior of the world or we reject him. There's only two choices. And so that means there's only two choices of your eternal state, and that's either heaven or it's the lake of fire and hell. All right? Number two, the great white throne judgment, and I have to hurry. Chapter number 20, verse number 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth was heaven uh, fled away, and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found in the book of life um, was cast into the lake of fire. We, we touched on this verse on Sunday, uh, but let's go into a little bit more detail about the great white throne judgment. The end of the millennium and the beginning of eternity is marked by the judgment before the great white throne. Uh, before the great white throne. There are two judgments, okay? Uh, there, there's the great white throne judgment and there's the judgment seat of Christ, Okay. The great white throne judgment encompasses those that have not accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. The judgment seat of Christ is for the saved. We'll be judged according to our works, just as the lost are. Okay, So this is the great white throne judgment. Question number one is, will we be there? I, I humbly say, yes, we will be there. Say, Pastor, can you prove that? Absolutely. There would be no reason for crying in heaven other than at the great white throne judgment. And the Bible says, and God shall wipe away all their tears. Okay? So we're going to be there. And we're going to watch them be judged. Okay? I, I believe that is going to be the most difficult part of heaven. The end of millennia and the beginning of eternity is marked by the judgment of the great white throne. The word great denotes the greatest judgment ever held. And white depicts the divine purity and righteousness that characterizes God's decisions. At this time, there will be a second resurrection of the unsaved dead, small and great, to stand before God. Verse number 12. Each sinner now must stand face to face with God and receive his judgment for his or her evil works. As the books were opened, every thought, word, and deed were brought forth as evidence so each person could be judged according to their works. Wait a minute, Pastor. We don't get to heaven by our works, right? 
We don't get to heaven by our works. So what does it mean that they're being judged by their works? I just want you to hang on to that because we'll be there in just a moment. But just understand that we do not get to heaven by our works, nor does a lost person get to hell by their works. Please understand that. They get there because they reject Christ. That is the only reason they get there. It could very well be that the memory in our own minds is the record book God will call up and perhaps visually play as his objective film of evidence. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse number 14. The Bible says, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every what? Secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. I don't know how all that works. All I can do is tell you what the Bible says. If the resurrected dead are, are, are already lost and condemned, why have this judgment? It is true that the place where they will spend eternity was determined on earth by whether or not they received Christ. But at the great white throne, God will determine, and we've talked about this in detail, almost a whole lesson, and I'm not going to take the time again, but it will determine the degree of their eternal punishment in the lake of fire. Do you remember several weeks ago, it's probably been several months ago now, we talked about that there are different rewards that you can get in heaven. Do you remember that? The different crowns. As well as there's different crowns to obtain, according to Matthew chapter 11, verses 21 through 24, there are different degrees of hell. And uh, you should go back if you still have it. If you don't, you can pick it up off of online or you can ask me for it. And you can go through that whole study again. That is the reason for this judgment. It is to determine the degree of hell and uh, for the lost person. And again, you can go back and study that. The book of life in verse 12 is at, the ju- at this judgment only. So the book of life is opened at this judgment only. And the reason that it is, is to show that no one standing before the throne has their name written in it. This judgment is not a balancing of good and evil works because a person's destiny is not decided in the life to come, but rather in this life by what one chooses to do with Jesus Christ. Only the degree of punishment is decided at the great white throne judgment. Now, we talked about the book of life before. Um, I believe that when a person is born into this world, uh, that their name is written in the book of life. If they live a complete life and never accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, the Bible says that their name is what? Blotted out. You can't blot something out that wasn't once there. Ooh, I'm getting inquisitive eyes. Let me ask you a question. Does Jesus ever desire anyone to spend eternity in hell? He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, this is the hard part. We understand that God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. We understand that he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. We believe that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who what? Whosoever. God did not die just for certain people, as we've talked about in hyper-Calvinism. He died for the whole world. The difference is, is that God knows who's going to accept and who's going to reject. Do you understand that? He's omniscient. I believe that God knows what I'm going to have for dinner tomorrow night. That's how omniscient I believe God is. He knows everything. Okay, And so when we talk about that... 
So God has no desire for anybody to go to hell. So obviously, the names are written in the book of life. But if they decide to reject, then their name, according to the word of God, is blotted out. When we get to heaven, this book of life is going to be at the great white throne judgment. And the reason that it's there is to prove that they have not, they have in fact, excuse me, rejected Jesus Christ. And so uh, this determines the degree of punishment for them at the great white throne judgment. The the lost dead are retrieved from three places. This is interesting to me. They retrieved from the sea. They retrieve from death and they retrieve from hell. Verse number 13. We haven't read this yet. Uh, let's start in verse number 11. Then, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the book according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So whether they were drowned, buried at sea, cremated, or buried in the earth, God will call together the atoms, which at the sound of his voice will all come back into bodily form and stand before his throne in judgment. Many people have asked me through the years of being a pastor about people that are cremated and and when it comes to our final destination. Um, If God can create something out of the dust of the ground, certainly he can put something back together. Okay? People struggle somewhat uh, with the the cremation idea. But the truth of the matter is, is, as people have asked me about it, Pastor, what do you think about it? This is what I think. I think we all make our own life choices. That's what I think. Who am I to judge? Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1. Judge not that you be not judged. You know, when we talk about that, the the truth of the matter is is that whether I'm buried at sea, whether I'm cremated, or literally whether I'm put into the ground, because I'm telling you, history tells us, science tells us that even if I'm put into the ground, from dust thou art, dust thou shalt return. God's got to put it all back together no matter what happens. Okay? Are you with me? All right. So... Everyone is going to call together, be called together, if you're lost, to this great white throne judgment at the sound of his voice. And they'll all come back in bodily form and stand before his throne in judgment. The third word used in chapter 20 and verse number 13 is hell, or the word Hades, which is the immediate place of residence for lost spirits between death and the permanent doom of the lake of fire. In Revelation 1.18, we found that Christ had the keys of hell and of death, but apparently he gave them to the angel in chapter 20 and verse number 1 so that this final judgment can be executed. The phrase death and hell in 2014 therefore refers to everyone whose body has been dead until the second resurrection and whose spirit has been in Hades. They are the ones cast into, excuse me, cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. The second death, this is what I really want you to see, is eternal separation from God. Their last encounter with God will be at the great white throne judgment. But I'm telling you, at that point, it's too late. The reason for this severe judgment is given in chapter 20 and verse number 15. This implies a careful search of the records. He says the book was open and the other book was open, which is the book of life. Uh, It's a search of records was made to prevent any mistakes. Even though these people are judged by their works, it is clear their eternal destiny was predetermined by the absence of their names in the book of life, all right? 
The vastness of God's mercy is beyond human comprehension, but it is not limitless, as this passage indicates. These verses dispel all human theories of universalism, and that universalism says that everyone will be saved in the end. This dispels that completely. Before God can usher in his new heavens and new earth, which we'll talk about over the next couple weeks, he must deal with sin in a way that is sweeping and final. That he will do at the great white throne judgment. Not only will he permanently do away with sin, but also death and hell were cast into the lake of fire so that God could declare in chapter 21 and verse number 4, and there shall be no more. What's the next word? Death. There'll be no more death. This is it. Everything after this point is all about life. What an amazing passage of scripture that we have just studied. May we live every day of our lives in light of eternity. And as we said before, and be busy doing the work of the Lord. So, here you have the millennium and the great white throne judgment. The next two weeks we're going to talk about um, the new heaven and the new earth. And uh, it is going to be a, a wonderful, wonderful study.